This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia. Good evening. Good evening to you out there in mid-Missouri or anywhere else where you might be listening on the web after the fact. This is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM, mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio. It's community radio. It's listener-sponsored community radio supported by you all out there, and we appreciate it. KOPN 89.5 FM, serving Columbia and all around mid-Missouri. As I said, this is Mike, and it's uh, Radio Orbit for the next three hours from 11 until 2 a.m. every Monday evening. 
And tonight, no different. Let me get uh, let me get a little business out of the way here, real fast. Uh, part of the program that you're listening to right now is brought to you by listener support and Colors. Colors stands for Columbia Locally Owned Retail and Services. Members are working for you to help maintain unique choices in your community. Colors citizen members get discounts at participating independent businesses. Information on citizen membership is available at colorsalliance.org and at the Colors booth uh, at the Earth Day Festival uh, this weekend. Members include Main Squeeze, Natural Foods Cafe, and Custom Computer Training. So thanks to all those uh, people that are a, a part of this uh, Colors organization. All right, uh, let's see. What do we got going tonight? Quick uh, thanks to Debbie Johnson, another very cool episode of Free Range Radio Theater. And I was just actually laughing with Deb before she left. I've got a CD that I'm going to play in a little while here by a guy. His name is Jeff Buckley, and his most uh, recent CD is called Peyote Radio Theater. I'm going to play a track from that in just a little while. But at any rate, uh, tonight uh, you can hear an interview that I'm going to do live. Actually, we're doing a live show tonight from Denver, Colorado, and I'm going to be talking to Dr. Terry Grossman. And Dr. Grossman is the co-author of a book called Fantastic Voyage. Uh, it's a book that he's written with Ray Kurzweil. Some of you sci-fi fans and uh, technology fans and futurist fans uh, are probably familiar with Ray Kurzweil, but in any case, uh, Dr. Grossman and Ray Kurzweil wrote this book called Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever. And uh, that's going to be live from Denver. Dr. Grossman's there in Denver, my old stomping grounds. I lived in Denver for quite a few years before I moved here to Columbia. So, uh, so stick around. That's coming up at the top of the hour. And uh, as I said, we'll be doing a live interview from midnight until 2 a.m. with Dr. Terry Grossman, the author of Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever. All right, uh, between now and then, got a few things to do here. Uh, one more time, quick thanks to Debbie. And you can hear her program every Monday before my show. That's from 10 o'clock until 11 p.m. And for anybody out there uh, who listens to my show, you might want to check out Debbie's show before mine. It's real cool and it has a nice... Uh, uh, it's a wonderful segue into my program. And if you're a listener of uh, Debbie's show, I hope you stick around and listen to Radio Orbit uh, tonight. It's going to be a fun show. So, All right. Uh, tonight, Terry, uh, Terry Grossman. It's spring. Springtime in mid-Missouri. The way I know that is because I had four ticks on me yesterday after I got done uh, working uh, out and about in my yard for the day. And now I've got four big old welts on my hips and on my leg from those little suckers and I have the most bizarre reaction to these little ticks and they don't hurt or anything but they just cause me to get like these mosquito bite things and they just itch like heck and they just drive me crazy so anyway ticks are here and I guess uh, uh, probably chiggers are not too far behind so here's a word of advice get your lawns cut keep them short and uh, try to stay out of any long grass or any grass that's in the shade because if you think ticks are bad, wait till you get a, a handful of chiggers crawling around where the sun don't shine. That's no fun. All right. Uh, last week we did the program with Richard K. Moore, and I want to do a quick thank you to Richard, uh, wonderful and interesting guest that we had last week. And for those who listened to the program, we did do a rare dive into the geopolitical arena, which is something I don't do very often, but um, 
doing a show like that with Richard is a good reminder as to why I don't do politics very often. Um, and I was reminded why, and I'm going to tell you why, I guess. Uh, although, although, and don't get me wrong, it's fascinating. Although it is fascinating to me, it's, it seems now to me obvious that the institutions themselves, uh, and by inference, those who are running them, they're, they're, they're just no longer what they were. Or, may, or maybe they never even were what we think they were. But either way, they seem to have absolutely no regard whatsoever for that which they speak so highly of, namely things like freedom and liberty. And uh, it's whatever. It's just all shtick. It's all shtick. And although Richard talks primarily about political institutions... It, uh, it reminded me sort of about all institutions in general. And for people who listen to my program, you sort of know my take on this. Uh, but for those who don't, I'll just reiterate. You know, uh, politics, sure, of course. Uh, but also religion, education, health, business. You name it. And they have failed miserably. And they continue to fail miserably, all of these institutions. And all of them, in my opinion, have cooperated either by design or by ignorance to bring about what we have now, what Richard and I talked about last week, the news of the day. And, you know, so for me anymore, trying to affect change through them is no more than just whistling past the graveyard. It's utterly ineffective. Uh, in fact, opposition is created and managed by them. It's a simple way to keep good-hearted folks busy, I think. And the organizations have refined things like manipulation and social engineering to a science. And... Unfortunately, I don't see, I only see one way out of it, and um, it's this idea of the forward escape that I've, that I've mentioned before on this program, the forward escape, which basically means that all of these things, all of these institutions, all of these establishments, all of them must fall away, and... Or we move past them and leave them in the dust, which is uh, something that I actually believe is going to happen. And I think we're in the middle of seeing it right now, and I think that's why some of the things are, 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 are getting as hairy as they are, actually. But at any rate, we'll talk about that in a few more minutes. I didn't plan on uh, going off on a rant and rave uh, this early in the program, but uh, uh, what the heck. I'll be back in a minute. Um, we'll play a little music here. And come back and talk some more. We got Dr. Terry Grossman, author of Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever. That'll be in 47 minutes or so. And until then, this is uh, Radiohead with Karma Police. Appropriate song for the topic.
There you go. That's uh, Radiohead on Radio Orbit. That was Karma Police from OK Computer back in 1998, I think that was, maybe 97. All right, this is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. And, uh, you know, right before the break there, I mentioned this idea of uh, uh, social engineering. And it's something that's real serious, and if you're not uh, familiar with the term... Uh, again, as always, I suggest that you get on the Internet, that umbilical upload of the entire history and knowledge of our planet, basically. That's what the Internet is turning out to be, even though it still may be in its infancy, in my opinion. At any rate, uh, get on the web and go do a search on social engineering and maybe put in uh, some terms like this, maybe Stanford Research, or maybe Tavistock, T-A-V-I-S-T-O-C-K. Try Tavistock. Hmm, what else might we try? Stanford Research Institute, yeah, that's a good one. Put SRI in there and just see what happens. At any rate, uh, they have got this stuff down to a science, and they understand exactly what uh, the, w- the way large populations uh especially large propagandized populations, will react under pretty much any given circumstance. And my opinion is similar to that of Richard K. Moore's, that, uh, that that's what is happening, that social engineering is happening, and that everything that you do see uh, really uh, is not an accident. And... Uh, be that as it may, or agree or disagree, if you will, that's fine, too. Regardless, my opinion about the answer is this. 
the answer is the same answer that's given any time science oversteps its bounds. And as I said, they've got this stuff down to a science. And I didn't say they've got it down to an art. Because that's the answer. The answer is art. The answer is art. It's music. It's dance. It's paint. It's poetry. It's sculpture. It's earth art. You name it. It must be pushed. We must put the art pedal through the floorboard. It is one of our lifeboats. And uh, just as technology maybe a lifeboat and we're going to be talking a lot about technology tonight with Dr. Grossman uh, technology is a lifeboat as well but only if it's wielded in a manner that includes wisdom and empathy and sympathy and compassion and these sorts of things without that the technology will turn into a monster and in fact we're seeing that already it, it's we're right on we're right on that line right now you know we're just sort of balancing on this razor blade between paradise and armageddon amazing things happening as you're going to hear tonight from dr grossman you're going to hear some amazing amazing things that are happening in the fields of medicine and certain branches of science in particular nanotechnology and how these things in a very short period of time have the potential to change all of our lives Literally, you know, when they're talking about life extension to a great, great degree. But what good is that if the world is a wasteland? So it has to be reined in, these Promethean, Faustian tendencies must be reined in as this technology advances and explodes. Otherwise, it will destroy itself, and probably most of us along with it. And I, for one, would like to see through to the other side of the tunnel. And I think we are in that right now. We are in the narrow neck, and we feel pressure, pressure, pressure from all sides, just as in a birthing process. And it's a critical situation, just as all birthing processes are. And it can end in catastrophe. Or it can end in a miracle. And we're all a part of which way that actually goes, I think. Which way you lean, if you know what I mean. So, this is why I talk about art. And because art is the embodiment of these things, these ideas that don't seem to be a part of the equation right now, these ideas of compassion and beauty and truth. You know, there was a reason why Plato associated the good, the true, and the beautiful. There was a reason. And I'll let you think about that reason and uh, move on to something else. So anyway, uh, thanks for the email. Thanks to everybody listening over the web. As always, we're going to sort of skip space weather tonight. There's nothing real exciting going on. Uh, go to Kent's site if you're interested in that, uh, www.cyberspaceorbit.com. 
dot com. Uh, and uh, Kent is always on top of things, if you know what I mean. We got to get, get him back on the air here. Haven't had Kent on for a while, but anyway, check it out at cyberspaceorbit dot com if you want to find out what's happening, uh, not just in the skies above your head, but in the world around you. Uh, Kent is a wonderful collector of uh, information and a purveyor of it as well. So, um, so do that. Go check it out over there if you're interested, okay? i got a few stories I want to cover first before we get to Dr. Grossman. Let me give out contact information first and a reminder about some upcoming guests. Uh, the email address uh, here, orbitradio at AOL.com, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O at AOL.com. You can also always get to me from the website, www.radioorbit.com. That's R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com, just one O in the middle there. And the phone number here in the studio is uh, area code 573-874-5676, 1-800-895-5676. I don't know if we'll be taking calls later with Dr. Grossman. We'll see how the show goes. and. Uh, toward the end of the program, if he's up for it, maybe we'll ask him if he wants to take a couple phone calls. If we've, uh, if uh, well, just depending on how it's going. So, so we'll check that out. Um, and if you want to give me a call here in the studio, I just wait till some music comes on, and I'll try to pick up the phone. I'm kind of busy though tonight. I've got a recording thing that I'm doing at the same time, and there's a lot going on here in the station. So, uh, so if you have something important, please go ahead and give me a call um, uh, at the break, and I'll try to pick it up okay all right so um uh what else upcoming guests okay tonight we got dr grossman fantastic voyage live long enough to live forever that's the book that he's written with ray kurzweil and again ray's a an amazing guy in and of his own right so all right that's coming out uh, or that's coming up in just about a half hour and basically it's about this uh, these guys predict that immortality is within our grasp and uh, within our lifetime and maybe perhaps in the next decade or two, okay? Uh, next week, I think I'm going to air that interview I've been talking about for a while for Stephen Buhner, and he's written uh, a number of wonderful books, including The Lost Language of Plants and The Secret Teachings of Plants, and Stephen is a really cool guy and um, uh, one of these guys who understands these concepts that we were talking about before, uh, and he understands the connection to the natural world which is, by the way, part of what Plato was talking about. And the separation of man and nature, the separation of intellect from intelligence, uh, is in large part responsible, in my opinion, for the predicament that we find ourselves in right now. And we need to renew that bond with nature. We need to reconnect with the planet. And we need to push art and those are sort of the same thing. You know, I'm thinking of crop formations, actually, now come to mind. And we're going to have Lucy Pringle on the air sometime uh, later this summer. Uh, and Lucy was on the air last year with us talking about the amazing crop formations that have been showing up for many, many years now on the English countryside. But they've become increasingly more elaborate and intense. And, yes, I know there's some that are... Uh, man-made no question about it in fact many of them are but there are also some that are not and I believe there's ample evidence reasonable evidence from reasonable people to prove that and uh, Lucy is one of those people and at any rate that is art in that in a, in a whole nother 
realm. I mean, this is art in its truest sense, in my opinion. It's uh, these incredible geometric and flowing, beautiful, morphing, three-dimensional, crazy images that show up on the countryside that are carved out of the fields of barley and wheat. And they stay for a few days, maximum. And people traipse through them, and the fields around them grow, and they themselves continue to grow. That's one of the interesting uh, aspects of some of the authentic formations is the, the crops don't die. They're not destroyed. They're not broken. Um, but this is art that just goes away. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the perfect aesthetic experience. You can't own it. You can't buy it. All you can do, if you're lucky, is look at it. And maybe this is, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe this is an expression of the goddess in our reality of her beingness, her being here and saying, hey, look at what I can do. I'm an artist too. <laughs> I don't know, sort of a nice thought actually. So anyway, uh, Stephen Buhner going to be here next week and that's a wonderful interview and I look forward to playing it for you guys, okay? Uh, Dr. Carlos Castro, a theoretical physicist who's having some difficulty with the National Archives at Cornell and we'll talk to him about his work and his problems. I have a wonderful interview lined up uh, for May 9th, and um, her name is Dr. Barbara Tedlock. Barbara Tedlock, and she is the chair of the anthropology department at the University of Buffalo, uh, actually the State University of New York at Buffalo. And she's written a wonderful new book, and it's called Woman in a Shaman's Body, Restoring the Feminine in Religion and Medicine. And this is a book that is way overdue. And get this, Barbara spends uh, about half of her time or about three months of her time in New Mexico. And she's going to be driving through on May 8th or something. And she's actually going to come down here and we're going to do, sh do the show live from the studio. Barbara's going to be my guest right here at the station, sitting right across from me. And uh, she is a fascinating and incredible, outrageously cool woman. And I hope that all of you out there listen to that interview. And I hope that you tell any girls that you know, I hope you tell any women that you know to please try to either tape or listen to that program with Barbara Tedlock because it's something that every single woman on this planet needs to hear and needs to know. And speaking of incredible women, Joanna Harcourt Smith uh, I spoke with her over email just yesterday, and we're still working on it, but we'll be talking with her sometime in the next couple months. Of course, Joanna is the former wife of Timothy Leary, uh, who died uh, a number of years ago and had quite a remarkable story himself. Most of, uh, of the true parts of which nobody really knows, or not enough people know uh, the true story. Most people know the propagandized version. John Lash. I've got an article here from, uh, from Phenomena Magazine written by John Lash. And I'll read, a little bit about, I'll read a little bit of that for you here in a minute. Anyway, he's coming up 
uh, Rupert Sheldrake. Rupert and I are still trying to work things out, but we will. Uh, Scott Stevens, of course. Scott uh, is a weatherman in Pocatello, Idaho, and he uh, is the he's actually the television anchor for the NBC affiliate there in Pocatello, and he talks openly about weather modification and weather manipulation, and he's done it twice on my show. And we'll have Scott. He was also a, a storm chaser early in, early in his career, and I kind of want to get him on during during uh, tornado season, and we can forget about weather manipulation for a few minutes and talk about tornadoes. And uh, I'm sure he has some real interesting stories to tell us about that. But anyway, Scott will be on the air again in the next uh, next month or two, and uh, of course we'll have Kent Stedman like we always do. Okay, uh, in the meantime, let's have a taste of music here, and we'll come back, and I'll do a couple more stories, and we'll get Dr. Terry Grossman on the phone here, all right? All right, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN, and uh, like I said before, push the art pedal, all right? This is Poets from Tragically Hip. We'll be back in a minute.
Indianapolis poets from the Tragically Hip off of Phantom Power. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM. All right, a couple quick news stories here before we get to uh, uh, get to our guest here, Dr. Terry Grossman. All right, really strange story here and a sad story. James Arthur. Uh, has died, died a few days ago. And uh, James Arthur was uh, probably the, the world's foremost ethnomycologist. He was an expert on mushrooms. And uh, not just uh, uh, the physiology and chemistry and history of them, but also their relationship in the history of mankind. And I'm going to read a quick bit here from uh, Jeff Rentz's site because I want people to know about this. Uh, and again, this is from Jeff Rentz at uh, Rentz.com, R-E-N-S-E.com. Jeff has a, uh, a great site when it comes to a clearinghouse for information that doesn't get um, much uh, attention in the mainstream, okay? All right, it is with regret that we announce the loss of James Arthur under circumstances which remain clouded and suspicious. A terse news report disputed on a number of counts by his associates and family state he was found dead in jail with a sheet around his neck. His death has been ruled a suicide, according to police. And anyone who knows James Arthur knows that that is highly unlikely. He was arrested on charges of alleged sexual misconduct with a minor. Charges his associates claim were conveniently made by a recently terminated secretary who had reportedly been hired to type a manuscript of a new book. There's much more to the story, and we'll present further information as it becomes available, as will I. Uh, James was on uh, Jeff's program. I think he, uh, I think, Je- I think his appearance on Jeff's show was his probably debut on national radio, and he displayed his extraordinary knowledge of human history and ethnomycology and uh, the connection and relationship between the two. James, um, I tried to get James on my program uh, around Christmas time because he has a wonderful presentation and illustration about Christmas and about how the little red-capped Amanita muscaria mushroom uh, has not only been a staple of Christmas cards since the first cards were ever made, uh, but has in fact been pictured in history all the way back to Roman times, um, anyway, James was amazing, and he was an incredible documenter and researcher of this information. And uh, we'll have to find out uh, what happened, uh, what happened to him. But you can always go and learn about him now. And in fact, I urge all of you to go to jamesarthur.net, J-M-E-S-A-R-T-H-U-R.net, and go look at the the work of James Arthur. He was a fascinating, remarkable man and somebody who did some wonderful work, and uh, he will be greatly missed and by not enough people. All right, I mentioned uh, that I'm going to be talking to John Lash in, uh, in a couple of weeks, probably. I'm not sure exactly when. He's just finishing up the manuscript for his book. But anyway, this is an article that he wrote for, Reptili- or, I'm sorry, for Phenomena magazine, and I'll just read a couple paragraphs of it here so you can get a feel for this guy. The, author, or the, uh, the title of the article is Who Wrote the Reptilian Agenda? In a collector's edition entitled Secrets of the Da Vinci Code, published by U.S. News and World Report, there is a brief interview with James Robinson, general editor, general editor of the Nag Hammadi Library, in response to Dan Brown's reference to the Nag Hammadi texts as scrolls. Robinson points out they are codices, 
books with individual pages. They are actually the oldest example we have of leather-bound books. Amazingly, whatever the significance of their content, and we have just barely begun to comprehend what that might be, the Nag Hammadi Codices, uh, the abbreviation for that is NHC, if you ever see that around, are rare original artifacts, the earliest surviving examples of bound books. A close reading of these arcane materials shows that the Gnostics were deeply concerned with alien intrusion into human affairs. The entities they called archons, or archons, appear to be identical to the ETs of modern ufology. Both gray and reptilian types are explicitly described in the codices. I would estimate that up to one-fifth of the core material in the NHC concerns the archons, their origin, methods, and motives. All right, so that's a sample of John Lash. And uh, he's no uh, slouch either. Very well educated, and uh, he is able, he's an, a linguistic genius. He can translate Coptic and Aramaic and all kinds of different things. So at any rate, when John Lash is on, that'll be a cool program. All right, uh, let's see. What else do I have here? Hmm. Eureka, extraordinary discovery unlocks secrets of the ancients. Decoded at last the classical holy grail that may rewrite the history of the world. Check this out. Thousands of previously illegible manuscripts containing work of some of the greats of classical literature are being read for the first time using technology which experts believe will unlock the secrets of the ancient world. Among treasures already discovered by a team from Oxford University. Now that makes me nervous right there that there's some institution behind this, but at any rate, at least the story's out. Uh, among treasures already discovered by Oxford University team are previously unseen writings by classical giants including Sophocles, Euripides, and Hesiod. Invisible under ordinary light and faded, the faded ink comes clearly into view when placed under infrared light using the technique developed from satellite imaging. The Oxford documents form part of the great papyrus hoard salvaged from an ancient rubbish dump in the Greco-Egyptian town of Oxyrhynchus more than a century ago. The thousands of remaining documents which will be analyzed over the next decade are expected to include works by Ovid and Aeschylus, plus a series of Christian Gospels which have been lost for up to 2,000 years. Now, I don't like the fact that they said it's going to take them 10 years to do it. That's uh, that reeks. At any rate, we'll just have to stay on that one and keep pressure on them. And now with the web, that's very easy to do. So as soon as these stories get out and people get interested in them, they um, they receive a lot of mail, and it's pretty hard to bury the stuff after that point. So we'll we'll keep following that. That's a really really interesting story. So okay, look, I'm going to take one more break here, and then we're going to come and talk about uh, a couple of stories that are relevant to our guest tonight. And I'll get him on the phone and. Uh, we'll be back after that, okay, with Dr. Terry Grossman, the author of Fantastic Voyage. And if you ever saw the old movie, remember the old movie, Fantastic Voyage? Well, I'll talk about it after the break once we get him on the air. But that was a cool old movie, and we'll talk about it a little bit tonight. So, all right, in the meantime, uh, listen to this. This is Fury in the Slaughterhouse, and uh, this is Radio Orbit. We'll be back in just a few.
washing machine for thousands of tests. What a cast. And your brain can fool your body when it makes you feel pain. Even when you're not ill, it fools your body when makes you feel pain. Even when you're not ill.
That's uh, Fury in the Slaughterhouse from Mono. That's called Every Generation Has Its Own Disease. Isn't that the truth? And we're going to be talking a little bit about disease tonight and ways to mitigate it. Dis-ease. That's what we'll be talking about tonight with my guest, Dr. Terry Grossman. And we'll be on the air with Dr. Grossman in just a few minutes. I want to read a couple stories that I dug up, though, just over the last couple of days to sort of uh, set the tone for some of the things that we'll be talking about. And one of those things is technology. And, you know, everyone is fond about talking about what Social Security going to look like in 50 years and whether Medicaid will still be viable and, you know, who's going to be in the World Series and whatever. But I think that, in my own opinion, it seems to be such a, uh, a misunderstanding. I mean, can anyone actually envisage another 50 years of unfettered technological development can you even imagine what it would look like I mean I the only thing I can see is something so different from today's world that it might as well be a different planet uh, yet there seems to be this idea that that things would just sort of stay the way they are in the midst of this incredible asymptotic technological advancement I'm not sure where that's coming from and I may ask dr. Grossman his uh, thoughts on that but at any rate uh, here's a couple stories uh, that sort of punctuate uh, these ideas. This first one says, Good as gold, small as atoms. Inspired by the molecular assembly techniques used in living cells, scientists early this year created a new class of nanometer, of nanometer scale building blocks that can spontaneously assemble themselves into ultra, into ultra tiny spheres, tubes, and curved sheets. The technique involved connecting segments of gold with polymer building blocks. It was the first time scientists made structures on such a small scale that curve as opposed to being straight or flat. The researchers can also control the size and curvature very accurately, accurately so they, they say that the technology could eventually lead to applications in nanoscale electronics and drug delivery systems, among other things. Nanotechnology involves building machines with individual atoms and molecules. If that sounds like nature's work, well, then you're on to the idea. We're trying to mimic life itself, said Chad Merkin. Uh, Northwestern University researcher who led the effort to create circular nanostructures. Much like proteins, which must fold into complex structures in order to function properly, we have designed new materials that also form complex structures through process of self-assembly. All right, so there's one amazing story. Now here's another one even more relevant to what we'll be talking about tonight. And this is from uh, physorg.com. Uh, nanoshells simultaneously detect and destroy cancer cells. And this is just from a few days ago. This is uh, from the 13th of April. And I'll just read a bit of it to you here. You'll get, the, you'll get the gist. Researchers at Rice University in Texas have developed a new approach to fighting cancer based on nanoscale particles that can both detect and destroy cancerous cells. The report appears in the, in the April 13th edition of American Chemical Society's journal Nano Letters. ACS is the world's largest scientific society. Current molecular imaging approaches only detect the cancer but don't offer a method of treatment, according to the study's lead authors, Rebecca Drizak and uh, Jennifer West, both PhDs, both professors in the Department of Bioengineering at Rice. You can look for a molecular marker that may indicate a significant clinical problem, but you can't do anything about it just through imaging, says Drizak. We don't want to simply find the cancer cells. We want to locate the cells, be able to make a rational choice about whether they need to be destroyed, and if so, proceed immediately to treatment. 
Now, this uh, article goes on quite a bit further and into uh, greater detail, and I'll link that up at the website um, after I uh, put this interview on the uh, um, up in the archives there. But if you want to go check it out, uh, just uh, go to fizzorg.com, and uh, you can read that article. It's right on the front page there, okay? All right, so those are some of the things that are happening, and, and uh, that's just tip of the iceberg stuff. I mean, those were just a couple of stories that I grabbed. Um, there are many, many, many more out there. Dr. Grossman knows many, many more of them, I'm sure. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, who he has partnered with on this book, uh, knows many, many more of them and was involved in many of them himself. Of course, Ray, uh, an incredible inventor in and of his own right and a, and a, and a, a futurist of note and uh, a guy who's been right a lot of times in the past. And so, at any rate, we're going to take one last break here. We'll come back in just a minute with uh, Dr. Terry Grossman, the author, the co-author uh, of Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever. And we're going to find out what that's all about, okay? All right, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, and this is The Decemberists. And we'll be right back in about four minutes, three and a half or so, with Dr. Terry Grossman. Stick around.
together You're listening to Radio Orbit with Mike Hagan on KOPN 89.5 FM. That's right. You are listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN, and this is Mike Hagan. A quick thank you to my friend Eskimo, who recorded that cool bumper music for me, and uh, to Kara for doing that nice voiceover. So thanks a lot, you guys. I appreciate it. And okay, uh, we're going to get on with things now. As I mentioned uh, throughout the first hour of the program, my guest uh, tonight is Dr. Terry Grossman. He's the co-author of the book Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever. Uh, Dr. Grossman is a medical doctor and a doctor of uh, homeopathy. He's the founder and medical director of Frontier Medical Institute in Denver, Colorado, my old stomping ground for about 15 years before I moved out here to lovely Columbia, Missouri. Uh, His uh, longevity medical practice uh, has attracted patients from all around the world, including co-author Ray Kurzweil. Um, He is a a graduate of Brandeis University and... uh, got his uh, medical degree from the University of Florida School of Medicine. He's uh, worked as a community doctor in in a community up in the Colorado Mountains for a long, long time, for about 15 years, and then he went back down to Denver and established Frontier Medical, and he is uh, an expert on nutritional and anti-aging medicine. He's been doing that since 1994-95, and uh, Frontier Medical Institute quickly became one of the largest uh, uh, medical centers dealing with these uh, types of ideas and complementary uh, medicine uh, ideas in the country. It's a very uh, successful organization. He's a member uh, and board certified uh, by the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine as well as the American Holistic Medical Association. His special field of interest is nutritional medicine and um, anti-aging medicine. He's licensed, as I say, as an MD and as an MDH, and uh, he's, a, he's an assistant professor there at the uh, uh, University of Colorado School of Medicine in Denver, and he's been all around the world discussing these topics. He's been a keynote speaker in many different countries, and tonight he is here with us. And uh, after that relatively long introduction, I want to welcome Dr. Terry Grossman onto the air with us. Thanks for being on Radio Orbit, Dr. Grossman. Uh, thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, wonderful to have you. I was uh, fascinated when I heard you interviewed on another program a few months ago, and I uh, got the book and uh, was further fascinated. So um, thank you very much for being with us. Maybe uh, maybe we can start off um, just uh, talking a little bit 
Actually, I mentioned the title of the book, uh, and I was going to tell the story of uh, of the movie. But before we do that, maybe you could uh, tell my audience a little bit about yourself, where you came from, and how you got interested in uh, longevity and anti-aging and all these ideas. And then eventually, I guess, um, ran into Ray. And then when you guys got together, wow. As you said before, Mike, I was a family doctor in the Colorado mountains from uh, 1980 to 1994. And during that period of time, my, my goal was to work as a newfangled version of Marcus Welby, the, <laughs> the old-fashioned family doctor who delivered babies and uh, took care of cuts and scrapes and sore throats and did surgery. And, and that's pretty much what I did. I was a conventional medical practitioner sort of jack-of-all-trades, okay. and um, worked in the in the mountains doing this for a number of years, and during that period of time, I delivered almost a 1,000 babies and really enjoyed that type of medicine. But towards the, the end of my career as a traditional allopathic medical doctor, I found that I was a little bit frustrated with the type of medical care that I was uh, providing for my patients hmm. and I felt that there was something that I was missing that there was something more and up until that time I had never myself experienced any significant illness or injury and uh, fate decided to throw me a curveball and since I lived in the mountains I was a avid skier right. and one winter on a very heavy snow day I wrenched my knee badly when I hit uh, a bump, a mogul, mm -hmm. underneath uh, the snow and got carried off the mountain after, you know, years of taking care of people that were brought to me off the mountain. Wow. I had the experience of coming off myself in one of those little boats that the ski patrol carries you down in. And <laughs> I saw my friend who was an orthopedic surgeon and he told me that I had not completely torn but stretched out two of the main ligaments in my knee, that it wasn't bad enough to require surgery, that I could just do rehabilitation and it would be fine. Mm -hmm. And he put me in a splint and on some crutches. And about a month later, I began my rehab. The problem was that I didn't get better and my knee continued to hurt. And it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't bad enough to mandate surgery, but it interfered with my activities. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to ski, I wasn't able to jog, I wasn't able to uh, ride a mountain bike very far, the things that I really enjoyed doing, and I found that I was beginning to gain weight, mm -hmm. and things that I never had a problem with up until that point became quite a bit of a problem for me, and along around this time, one of my patients uh, came into the uh, my office and Right. He was actually a multi-level marketer. He <laughs> wanted me to buy some products for him right. that he assured me were, were miraculous. They could uh, cure asthma. They could cure hemorrhoids. You name it, they could take care of it. And he assured me that they would take the pain in my knee and help it to go away. Right. So uh, Give it a go. Why he kept not? coming back to my office again and again trying to get me to buy this stuff from him. And I'd honestly never been interested in or knew much about vitamins and supplements until that point. But mostly to get them out of my office more than anything else, I, I got some of it right. and took it for a few months. And it was a, a, a grapeseed extract. Actually, it was similar to the grapeseed, grapeseed extract 
what I used today was uh, something called pycnogenol, hmm. which comes from uh, the inside bark of a, a tree that grows in the south of France, a certain type of pine tree, and apparently it has a, a bioflavonoid in it that is very powerfully anti-inflammatory and has a number of beneficial actions in the body. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that at the time. I just wanted the guy out of my hair, so right. I bought a few bottles of the stuff and I took it. Right. And it didn't do much good. I, I took the three months worth that he suggested, and towards the end of that time, I really didn't notice that my knee was much better than it had been before. And he just said, you know, give it another couple months and things will, will improve. And I figured I'd gone along with him so far, so I'd try it a little further. And during the fourth month, the pain in my knee went away completely. Wow. And I was able to do everything I wanted to do. And being a bit of a scientist myself, I did a you know, scientific experiment. I quit taking it to see if the pain would come back. Hmm. And in about two weeks, it did. Okay. So I thought, well, maybe there is something to it. So I did the second part of the experiment. I started taking it again, and the pain went away. Mm-hmm. So that was really my introduction into nutritional medicine. I had learned that there are things out there that doctors are not taught in medical school, <laughs> uh, things in the world of nutrients, vitamins, herbs, and other things along those lines right. that can be useful in, in treating disease that I had completely missed in the course of my training to become an allopathic physician. Mm-hmm. So the burnout that I'd been experiencing in conventional medicine really lifted away from me, and I became very interested uh, became very interested in this type of nutritional medicine. And this was in 94. And as part of my interest, I saw an advertisement in a medical journal for the first meeting of an organization called the A4M, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And the meeting was in Las Vegas, and I figured it was a good excuse to take a... It was held in December, and it was nice to get out of the snow in the mountains and go to Vegas and warm up and sure. have some fun sure. and also see what this anti-aging medicine was all about. Right. And when so was this again? I doc- made the trip out there. When, when was this again, Dr. Grossman? This was in 94. 94, okay. Yeah, December of 94. And when I went there, I was, I was very surprised to find that here were people talking about things that I had never even heard of. They were talking about things like uh, cryonics. People would freeze themselves after they die right. in order to be reanimated in the future. This sounds to me like spooky science fiction. Right. Here were people getting up and giving lectures about these things, and they were talking about something called nanotechnology, which I had never heard of. Sure. Where they said they'd be able to create synthetic organs for people. They'd be able to create a machine to pump blood and a machine to oxygenate the bloodstream uh, in the laboratory. And it just sounded like science fiction to me, but it was nonetheless fascinating. And some of the other things they talked about included things that I actually do now, the use of uh, hormone replacement therapy and the use of vitamins and special diets and things along those lines and smart drugs, a whole host of topics that I knew nothing about. So uh, I really became very interested in this field of anti-aging medicine, longevity medicine, and seeing what we could do to help our patients to, to live longer and healthier lives, which is really what, we, what I was trying to do as a doctor anyway. Right. But I felt like I had a whole host of new tools that I didn't know about. So 
this was really how I made the transition from a conventional medical doctor into a anti-aging medical doctor. Wow, so that, that, a fascinating story alone. You know, it's it's interesting because I spent some time in the medical industry myself, and I am pretty familiar with very many doctors. And uh, what what you mentioned rings true to me in that the traditional training uh, is for what it for what it is. It's it, it's uh, certainly good for what it is. In other words, uh, uh, they're they're taught well. Most doctors in this country, however, it's not always the full story. And so many physicians get caught in a rut of sorts where they don't continue uh, to learn about new ideas and new uh, techniques and push the envelope of their own understanding and their own knowledge. Uh, to the point where you did, and I, and and I, and it's a, it's a, uh, um, uh, it's it's something that makes me feel good to hear your story and to uh, and to know that there are still some physicians out there that don't think that they know it all and that they can uh, uh, continue to learn always, you know. Uh, absolutely, and when the uh, A Forum, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, began in 1994, the first meeting had 30 members and the second meeting had 200 members. It was the, the meeting with the 200 members, one I went to. Uh, now they have many conferences all around the world and they boast somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 physicians being uh, members mm. of this organization. So it's really growing very rapidly and there are a lot of physicians around the country and the world are embracing these new concepts. Right, it's sort of uh, the, the growth of that sort of mirrors the, the growth and the advance of uh, the knowledge itself and the technology. It sort, of, uh, it sort of looks like a fractal image of what we're seeing almost. Yes, you know, it, it seems to be on an exponential growth curve, so I'm sure that that will continue for at least the next few years. Right. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the book. I've mentioned the title a few times. It's called, I love the title of it because I was such a fan of the old sci-fi movie from, uh, I don't know, when was it, 68 or 67 maybe? or I think it was before right. 1970. But anyway, it was called Fantastic Voyage, and that's the title that you guys chose for the book. And uh, maybe you could, uh, you actually uh, do a pretty cool little uh story about it at the beginning of the book. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that, why you guys chose that and, uh, and, and what the significance of it is. Well, we, we picked the title because both uh, Ray Kurzweil, my co-author, and I are very enamored of the concept of nanobots, which are on the drawing board today, and there are textbooks actually being written about how nanobots can be created. And what nanobots are, they're tiny robot-like devices that will circulate through the bloodstream to identify problems and to repair problems. And the, the movie, uh, Fantastic Voyage, was based on a book written in 1966 by Isaac Asimov. Right, it was an Asimov The movie book. starred Raquel Welch. <laughs> and in that, in that movie and in the, in the story, uh, a professor had a uh, serious brain problem and needed to have that repaired or he would die. And so what they did was they had to uh, take this little spaceship, miniaturized spaceship, and take it through his body and into his brain to repair this problem. So we thought this was a, a good 
metaphor for the message that we were trying to create with our book, uh, Fantastic Voyage. Right, right. Yeah, because that uh, that idea of nanotechnology and nanobots actually plays uh, quite heavily into the scenario uh, that you guys paint. But in order to get there, uh, we're not quite there yet. So there are a number of different uh, things that have to come before that in order for us to make it uh, to that uh, particular level of technology. And that's sort of um, uh, another uh, significant portion of the book is that you, you actually break it down into bridges, if I remember correctly. You talk about bridge one. And uh, maybe we should do that, talk a little bit about these ideas. In other words, the nanotechnology uh, is not quite here with us yet. So for, for people who are really interested in this, uh, they've got to make sure that they find a way to make it uh, stay alive long enough in, or, in order to be able to take advantage of these technologies once they finally do avail themselves. Exactly, and that's why we subtitled the book Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever, right. because we think that the technologies that will enable people to live, if not forever, for, you know, prolonged periods of time compared to today's limited lifespans, and we're talking of lifespans that could easily be in the several hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, will be accessible to people later in this century. And I'm not talking about the end of this century, but during the first half of this century. Wow. I mean, that's a mind-bender. That, you know, that, that, that alone is just a mind-bender. Exactly. And outside estimates are this technology will be available as late as 2045, which is 40 years from now, mm -hmm. and as early as maybe 2030, which is 25 years from now. So somewhere in this realm or this range between 25 and 40 years from now, a lot of scientists are anticipating that we will make major breakthroughs in human longevity and people will begin to live longer and longer and longer. So we try to come up with a game plan to help people of any age to maximize their chances of being alive for 25 to 40 more years. Now obviously for people who are, you know, under 40 right now, this isn't this isn't going to be too difficult right. because They'll be, the oldest of these people will be um, 85 80, or so. right. and the youngest of them will be 65 right. if it comes to pass in 2025 or 2040. So that's the generation that comes after the baby boomers. But the baby boomers are all in their 40s and 50s, and the oldest baby boomers are now getting close to 60. And for this group, which is the root group that Ray and I are in, the baby boomers, we need to do things to maximize our chances because there's a big difference for us as to whether these technological breakthroughs occur in 25 years or occur in 40 years. Right. Let's take the example of a, you know, one of the older baby boomers who's like, say, 55 right now. Okay. The oldest baby boomers, I think, are 58. So if we take a 55-year-old baby boomer and the technology that will enable people to live for hundreds of years occurs in 2025, then that, then that person would need to live to be 75 years of age and hopefully to arrive at that point in time in reasonably good shape right. so that they'd be able to take advantage of these technologies and not be, you know, have Alzheimer's and decrepit and in, in horrible shape. So to be in reasonably good shape at 75 years of age, which is actually quite conceivable for a lot of people, mm -hmm. 
in Japan, for instance, uh, human life expectancy for women is now average over 90 years. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. So, and, and what's the average in this country? Uh, I think for women it's about 78. Yeah, I was going to say it's still in the 70s for sure, though. Yeah, but in Japan, they're right... They're knocking at 90. They're like 89 and a fraction. Amazing. And that's the average. That means, you know, a significant number of them live longer than that, and an equal number live less than that. But that's, that's you know, pretty impressive. And that's attributed... And Japanese men are living like 86, 87 years. So it's very, very doable. So right. one of the things we recommend, just by the by, is, you know, adopt a lifestyle that incorporates a lot of things that Japanese do. Hmm. For instance... You know, eating the, the way Japanese do, with, with less emphasis on red meat, more emphasis on fish. Right. We can talk about these things later. Um, so, but more germane to the 55-year-old baby boomer, if these breakthroughs occur in 2025, that person would need to live to be 75. But if the breakthroughs don't occur until 2045, 40 right. years from now, right. then that person's going to have to survive to be. 95, right. and also in good shape. And that's a little bit stretching it, even for the Japanese. Mm -hmm. So that's why we wrote this book, is to give people the absolute best chance that they had of arriving at this time when the technology will be available to cure a lot of diseases which are currently incurable, and then they'll be able to take, it, take advantage of these technologies. So uh, we did that through what we call the three bridges. And bridge one refers to technologies that are available commonly today. And those include things like the use of medications that we have, hormone therapies, vitamins and antioxidants, uh, diets, uh, early diagnosis and detection of disease, mm -hmm. aggressive mm -hmm. supplementation, things along those lines. And even many of and those, even even many of those, aren't very well known to to to, uh, to certain physicians and patients. Wouldn't you agree that there are still some just regular stuff that people don't even know about? Well, that's really what the book is mostly about. That's the the main part of the Fantastic Voyage book is really describing the Bridge One therapies because right. that's what people can do today. Mm -hmm. and that's really what people are interested in. They want to know what they can do right. to improve their quality of life and to maximize their chances of taking advantage of these exciting breakthroughs that are coming. Well, I, I, think it, I think it's pretty, I think it speaks volumes, the fact that you and Ray did it, and you're speaking of it from your own position as a baby boomer. In other words, you're saying, hey, look, this is about, this is about my own particular situation, and I want to be able to take advantages, uh, advantage of these things. And, you know, if there's one way to learn about something, and uh, it's write a book about it. <laughs> and you'll learn uh, quite a bit, probably. So I'm sure just in the process of putting the book together, you and Ray made some advances. Well, absolutely. Uh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And we, we divided up the, the chapters <clears throat> into things that we were personally interested in. So uh, he had some specific interests in certain conditions, and he wrote those sections, and I had interests in certain conditions, so I write those sections. And... That's really how we divided this, so that we could learn things that we could apply in our own lives as well. Right. So you're absolutely right about that. But we also wanted to tell people what 
is lying ahead, what the future holds. Right. And that's the Bridge 2 and Bridge 3 technologies. And Bridge 2 refers to the biotechnology revolution. And the biotechnology revolution has already started. And this refers to things like genetic engineering and uh, what's called anti-sense technology and genetic modification and cloning, um, things along those lines mm -hmm. that are actually being done in the laboratory today. And these therapies will, will enable us to live longer and healthier lives and to take advantage of nanotechnology and nanotechnology is the creation of these programmable nanobots that will be able to travel throughout our bodies and cure disease, really detect it before it has a chance to, to, to injure us and to cure it and reverse it. So, uh, and that, that technology will really begin in 15 to 25 years. So we, we try to present a rational approach for using bridge one to get to bridge two, which is just starting now, right. which will then enable us to leapfrog into bridge three, right, nanotech so, revolution. All right, so let me clarify on, on timelines, just just uh, uh, for my own uh, clarification, bridge bridge one is stuff that we have right now available that we can, that we can take advantage of right now without any great difficulty. Uh, bridge two is right now coming upon us, or is bridge two still 10 or 15 years away? No, bridge two is beginning. Right, so the biotech uh, revolution is upon us. The biotech revolution is beginning, but it hasn't completely unfolded. Mm -hmm. it, some of the, te the main technologies that are involved in bridge two include uh, genomics therapy, in other words, unraveling the human genome, knowing what genes people have so that we know what we're predisposed to, mm -hmm. and then what's called proteomics, which is designing proteins that will correct problems that those genes predispose us to. Genomics is in its infancy. We are able to look at a number of genes now for an affordable price that we wouldn't have been able to do just a few years ago. But proteomics, where we can actually say, okay, we want a certain protein, and this is the sequence of amino acids that we need to string together to make that, is a problem that we don't know how to do yet. Mm -hmm. It requires computational speeds that even the largest computers in the world cannot do. So yet. we don't have the full benefit of the Bridge 2 therapies. We have the very earliest okay. uh, benefits of Bridge 2. Some of the other parts of Bridge 2 that are very, very promising include stem cells. And there's a huge debate about stem cells uh, political debate, religious debate, but the, the promise of stem cells seems to be very great, but we don't know how to harness them, we don't know how to use them properly. So it's also in its very early stages. And right. the same thing applies to cloning. We're not talking about cloning people, but cloning organs. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if your kidney were to fail uh, in your later years, you would be able to take one of your cells and clone it to create a new kidney for yourself out of your own DNA, out of your own tissues, mm -hmm. so that your body would...
rejected. Right, right, right. You need to take anti-rejection drugs and things like that. But once again, we're in the very early stages of bridge two. Okay. Of cloning, things like that. All right, so it, so, so, so it does seem, though, like... like um, It'll unfold over 15 years. Right, so... It, but, it's already started. Right, and it's, and it's a continuously unfolding thing. So, in other words, it's not like... Uh, in 10 years, all of a sudden, there it is. It's, it's, it's slowly, over time, new developments come, and then more and more un, until it's reached sort of its fruition. So, so for people that are aging, uh, even though... Uh, what's the best way to say this? Even though they are aging at a particular rate, the technology is aging, too. So, so as we were talking about earlier, like we said, okay, uh, if you're a baby boomer, you're going to have to make it to the age of 65 on the low end and maybe up to 85 on the high end. But as you move onward in your own age, some of these things that are being developed in the midst and in the meantime may be able to help you extend further as you go, sort of, as opposed to just doing it at one point. That's exactly right. Okay. All right. Okay. So that's sort of the so that's sort of the, the the basic layout. We've got bridge one, bridge two, and bridge three, and we need to do them in that sort of sequence in order to get from one to the other. All right. Well, it's the bottom of the hour, and I think that's a good place to take a break. Okay, Doctor Grossman. Sounds good, Mike. All right. We'll do that, and uh, we'll come back, and we'll talk more about uh, the details of uh, all of these different bridges. And I guess we'll start with bridge one, and you can tell us. Uh, uh, some of the ideas of what people can do right now to help themselves uh, to make it far enough where they can take advantage of these uh, these other ridiculous technologies that seem uh, to be just uh, uh, transformative. I mean, and and you know the, the the crazy thing about this is that as these things are happening to people in our lives what's going on on the planet around us that you know that is also being affected by the the implications of these technologies that's a whole nother story you know okay you guys we'll be back in a minute with dr terry grossman this is mike you listen to radio orbit on kopn
That was uh, Jeff Buckley from the Peyote Radio Theater, I think is the name of that disc. That was called uh, Mojo Pin. Gotta love Jeff Buckley. All right, this is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. And uh, I'm on the line here with Dr. Terry Grossman, live from Denver, Colorado. And we're talking about his new book called Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever. And we've just sort of finished our first segment here talking about uh, the way the book is laid out. We have three bridges, so to speak, about uh, how we're going to get where we want to go, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about those. Do I still have you here, Dr. Grossman? Right, Mike. Hi. All right, great. Good to have you back. Okay, so, um, you know, uh, I'm not sure if you were listening, but before, uh, right before I brought 
uh, you on the air, I read a couple of stories that were sort of relevant, and one of those uh, was an article that I found uh, about some work that's going on at Rice University, and they're talking about these what they call nano shells that uh, are designed to not only detect uh, cancer cells, but at, but to actually act upon them, to actually detect and then proceed immediately to treatment, so to speak. And so this was another one of these these stories that that. Uh, um, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I guess uh, on on the on the advancement of the technology, it seems like 40 years seems like a long, long time actually to me in certain in certain ways. Well, that's why they're saying that they anticipate that the the huge breakthroughs in human longevity will occur between 25 and 40 years from now. Mm-hmm. The, the the nanotechnology you know revolution when it's when it's in full swing, we'll be able, I mean, we're talking about programmable uh, red blood cells and programmable white blood cells that, you know, have internet capability. For instance, right now we're, we're, we're worried about weapons of mass destruction, for, right. for instance. Right. And one of the biggest hazards of that is biological agents. Mm-hmm. And instead of worrying about developing vaccines or antibiotics to treat, you know, massive number of people that are exposed to these type of, of harmful agents in the nanotechnology world, when we have nanotechnology uh, nanobots available to us in our bloodstream, it would be a simple matter of just sending out a program and it, you know, these would have uh, internet capability. Right. You just download to them. Just download your, you know, your personal Wi-Fi net that exists in your own body, and say, okay, well, we have this specific type of organism, and just put in the antiviral software, and then the micro microbivore is what they're called. The antibiotic white blood cell would use laser beams to destroy these uh, noxious agents, and end of story. They just know how need to know the program how to recognize them. Right, right. So, you know, it's uh, the it, it, it does sound like science fiction what you're talking about, but you know, but a couple of the things that, that you just mentioned, I've read stories on recently. Uh, in in particular, this idea of of a of a network, a computer network that's basically uh, not really worn, but literally transmits through the skin. And so these ideas of of having your own personal Wi-Fi network that literally walks around with you is not near as far fetched as uh, as it may seem. No, I mean, if you just think back to, you know, 10 years ago, really, most of us didn't have cell phones then. A lot of technology we just take for granted. I mean, we didn't even have the Internet to speak of, most of us. uh, Right, only only a few people. Yeah, only the the sort of leading edge of that curve was was getting involved in the web and stuff, and it was primarily through universities and the Usenet and that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, ten years ago, like, cell phones were the size of small suitcases, <laughs> and you know things have really right. changed dramatically. Right now, they're taking video with cell phones as, as just as a goof, you know. Absolutely. So th- this is this is how quickly things are changing. So it's not at all inconceivable that what we're doing now, which is <clears throat> interacting with computers, and computers are external to us, will really become integrated into us. Right. Uh, some designs include, you know, clothing that that has computers, uh, computerized 
clothing to keep us cool or warm, as the case may be, or to change patterns. I mean, mm -hmm. all kinds of things that will just be integrated. And these are fairly trivial uh, applications. And the health applications, which are much more significant, are really being developed very, very rapidly as well. Yeah, it seems like uh, at, at all of these different levels. And, you know, this, this idea of having sort of instantaneous uh, access to the information, uh, to, to the web, for example, I agree with what you're saying, that this idea that the computer is this piece of uh, hardware that has a keyboard and a screen, and you have to type your message, uh, you know, in in a search engine if you want to find out what's on the menu in Paris. Well, the only thing now that has to improve is the interface, and I think that's what you're talking about. And, and, and if we can and, and, and if, if we follow classical models of the way human beings do things, we will continue to make this interface between man and computer more and more seamless uh, to the point where uh, you want to know what's on that menu in Paris. Now all you do is uh, think it maybe, and, uh, and it, it appears floating in hyperspace in front of your eyes or something. I don't know. Well, that's, this is not far-fetched at all. And the, the interface... Before we get to the thought interface, which is which is actually being worked on, but the, the, the voice recognition, all of us have had experiences of speaking to uh, computers or having computers speak to us and understand what we're saying. This this uh, technology was actually pioneered largely by my co-author Ray Kurzweil, and for this he won numerous awards, including the National Medal of Technology and the MIT Lemuel Award. These are these are the top awards for uh, invention in the country. Uh, and that <clears throat> speech recognition will be a major uh, source of interacting with the computer as opposed to using a typewriter. I'm a, actually a very poor typist. Uh, and I use speech recognition to write much of the Fantastic Voyage book. So wow. it's uh, you know a wonderful new technology. So first we'll just speak what we want, and then later we'll just think what we want right. and be able to interact this way. Right. Um, wow. A lot of what's nice. available in our book, we have uh, sections of each of the chapters available on the, on the Internet at a website, uh, fantastic-voyage.net, and if any listeners would like to go to that website, they can uh, read parts of each of the chapters We've also summarized each chapter into a uh, a small volume that we published on the internet, and it's available for free. And it's called "A Short Guide to a Long Life." Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. it's essentially a summation of of all the most important uh, information contained in the book. So, if people want to have access to that, I invite them to go to fantastic-voyage.net. Yeah, um, and if. Uh for all of my regular listeners, if you've got my website open like you do sometimes, just you'll see it right there on the front page. Just click on the book, and uh, that'll take you over to Terry and Ray's uh, uh, website for uh, for the book itself. Fantastic Voyage. Dot, is it dot net? Dot net. Yeah. 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 And uh, you can get there from my site, and you can also get to another fantastic site that I want to mention. Since we're talking about Ray, uh, he. And I'm not sure uh, what your involvement, if any, at uh, KurzweilAI.net is, but uh, that's another website that I'd like to give out. Um, it's Kurzweil, K-U-R-Z-W-E-I-L, 
kurtzweilai.net. Kurtzweilai.net. No spaces, no dashes, no nothing. And uh, another outrageously cool website, uh, which has a tremendous amount of information uh, that is uh, absolutely relevant to the stuff that we're talking about tonight. I mean, he's got... Uh, uh, the cutting edge stuff there uh, it's it's been a, a great discovery for me since uh, I've gotten to know uh, you and and uh, and the book since I've been sniffing around all of you guys' work <laughs> I've, I've I've stumbled over there and boy that's just been a, a, a wealth of resource I think so well that's the problem with writing a book is we recognize that as we were writing it that it was going out of date you know from beginning to end right, it took right. Us about two years to write the book and we had to rewrite stuff that we had written initially because things had changed so much from the beginning to the end. And we were, you know, at one point we just said, you know, fine, we have to stop now. We have to stop changing the book because we keep wanting to put new information that has changed and updating it. So what we decided to do instead is have this information available on the Internet where we could change it continuously. So the KurzweilAI.net site, that's Kurzweil Artificial Intelligence, uh, you're right, it's a wonderful, wonderful site, and that's the technology side. It has some health information also, so that's where we keep up with that. And um, I also have a, a newsletter where I, uh, a, a blog, where I keep up with the latest literature and things of interest, and people can get to that at uh, FMI Clinic, FMI Frontier Medical Institute, my clinic, okay, fmiclinic.com, right, right. okay. and there's access to information on that as well. So there's lots of resources where people can keep up to date on the latest changes that are occurring. Well, and I think that that's a good point to make. You know, uh, I talk about, you know, you made, a, you, you made me think about a couple of things. I've got to tell you something funny first. This, the, this idea of the interface between, between the, the human and the computer is something that I get a kick out of because... There was an old uh, friend and guru of mine that I, that I quote often on this program, and his name was Terrence McKenna. And uh, you may or may not be familiar with him, but it's not, not important. But a long time ago, he said, he said, you know, the only difference right now between a computer and a psychedelic drug is that one of them you can swallow. <laughs> and, and this was back in the in the, in the late 1990s, and I and uh, Terrence died uh, a few years ago. But I think now, if he could see uh, how prophetic that actually was, uh, because I mean, I think it's actually a reasonable description for this idea of being able to think reality into being. Basically, it re it really uh, has some parallels there. But anyway, I thought that was interesting, and uh, um, I also. Uh, I uh, want to mention that the blog that you run is really important because you mentioned about how quickly things are changing and that uh, I've mentioned this before on the show and we talk about uh, a lot of these things a lot, but uh, I, so, I, so I like to reiterate that because things are changing so quickly in any particular field of endeavor, you, if you're not staying au courant, as they say, well, and, and to stay au courant, you have to basically be reading all the time and staying up on the current journals and the most recent publications and the most uh, recent blogs of guys like you. And if you're not doing that in whatever uh, area we're talking about, your idea of what's going on in that particular field of endeavor is probably a story of some kind. It's just not the way things really are because... Uh, as you say, things are changing so quickly that uh, if you're not keeping up on them, well, you're going to be left in the dust and you're not going to know what the real 
uh, true possibilities are. So, so I think it's really cool that you keep that blog because that's a way uh, for people to really keep up basically at the same speed that you do. And that's what's so nice about the Internet is that you can transmit information instantaneously to you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people simultaneously, yeah. essentially for free. So we're able to disseminate knowledge, whereas before when we had to do it with books or, you know, the printed word, that was a very slow, slow mm -hmm. process. So we can, we can get, you know, basic information transmitted, but for up-to-date changes, which in medicine are in almost any field occurring so quickly, I think we just simply need to rely on electronic means of dissemination in order to, uh, to, to stay current, as you say. Right, right. Well, it's amazing. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. The, 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 uh, the novelty of the Internet is one thing, but it is really uh, a tool like no other tool that's ever existed, at least as far as I know, uh, on this planet. Maybe uh, who knows what happened long ago. But at any rate, right now, it is a tool that if you decide to use it, boy, it can really open up uh, the whole world to you. All right, well, let's see. Uh, where should we go next? Um, why don't we... Uh why don't we talk then a little bit about what we need to do first? We've been talking about all of this amazing stuff that's that's coming, but not quite here yet. And uh, as we mentioned earlier in the interview, the, the idea is to get there first. And uh, a significant portion of the book is devoted to uh, helping us do just that. And I'm sort of right on that uh, cusp that you're talking about. I'm just 40 years old. And... Um, I'm still in uh, relatively good health, and I don't, you know, I still think I'm sort of invincible. I haven't had anything really bad happen, but, uh, but, but my age, uh, you know, I feel it at times and see it, and I know I'm, uh, I know I'm getting older for sure. So, so I'm right on this sort of uh, bubble that you talk about, and I'm very interested. So, so what? Uh, let's start talking about that. What should we be doing, and what, uh, what are the, you know, well, just go from so these there. These are the bridge one strategies. And the bridge one strategies really consist of two things. One is prevention of disease, you know, making lifestyle choices that will prevent you from developing diseases. And the other is aggressive application of the knowledge we have today to early detect diseases. So that, that combination of early detection and prevention is, are the mainstays of, of bridge one therapies and there are a lot of technologies today that can help us to, to to learn who we are and know what diseases we're predisposed to and for instance a few years ago it cost several hundred dollars to determine each gene that you had did you have an abnormal uh, a gene that predisposed you to Alzheimer's disease for instance uh, about three years ago this test cost $350 to do. It's called the APOE uh, gene type. Okay. And now we can get this test for under $50. So you can find out if you're predisposed to have to develop Alzheimer's disease in the future. You can find out if you're predisposed to get certain forms of cancer like lung cancer and hmm. if or heart disease. And if, if you have genes that predispose you to heart disease, then there are certain lifestyle choices that you can make right now. So we can begin to individualize medicine. So part of the approach that I take and part of the approach we take in the book Fantastic Voyage to our readers 
is to consider checking your genes so that you know exactly what you're predisposed to get because forewarned is forearmed. Right. If you know right, that right. you're predisposed to uh, lung cancer, then not only should you absolutely not smoke, but you need to avoid people who smoke. You need to avoid secondhand smoke. If you know that you're predisposed to heart disease because of the number of genes that increase your risk, then you have to be much more aggressive to make sure that your cholesterol stays in, the, in, the, in an optimal range, not just in a good or an average range, right, right, but an right. optimal range. Uh, if you know that you're predisposed to Alzheimer's, there are certain nutrients that we know of today that will reduce the, the oxidative damage to the brain and reduce the risk of getting Alzheimer's. So part of our, our program is to find out what your genes are so that you can individualize. Hmm. Because some people should be vegetarians. Other people should not. Right, and right, right. now we're beginning to get the tools that enable us to determine who it is who we are, actually, so we know how, how we should live our lives. Incredible. So it's, it's sort of about knowing your inventory. <laughs> well, it's like playing blackjack. Uh, you know, all of us, you know, we, we compare life to a game of cards a lot of times. People talk about life being a gamble. Sure. And up until now, it's like we're trying to play this, this card game without being able to look at our whole cards. <laughs> how do you make a decision about whether you should double down or split or take a hit or whatever? Uh, all these decisions, you know, we're, we're living out our lives making these decisions without peeking at our whole cards. Right. And with, with genomics, it's like we can just flip them right over and, and see them face up, and we know exactly what hand we're playing. And up until the last few years, no one's ever had this information available to them. We, we had hints about things. We knew, for instance, well, uh, heart disease runs in my family, or, or Alzheimer's disease runs in my family, or osteoporosis runs in my family, things like this. Well, we knew certain generalities, but we can know specifically, you know, one brother ends up uh, getting a certain disease, but another brother does not or a sister does not. It, it really has to do with the genetic makeup of that individual, and now we can actually find out our genetic makeup. Remarkable. So one of the mainstays of, of, our, of our program and one of the chapters of our book is the promise of genomics. So this is a unique strategy that people have accessible to them that was not available and in fact if most people go to their doctors and ask for gene testing most doctors don't know about these tests yet but they're becoming more and more known and day by day month by month over the next couple of years more and more doctors are going to be doing gene testing I'll give you one idea of a place where gene testing is critical women today uh, who are approaching menopause are are burdened with the decision. The doctor and the woman is burdened with the decision as to whether or not this woman is a good candidate for estrogen replacement. Right. Because right. a lot of this, a lot of the um, studies have shown that there's a higher risk of heart disease, a higher risk of blood clots, a higher risk of certain forms of cancer in women who take estrogen therapies, particularly the synthetic drugs, Premarin and things along those lines. The, the benefits of, of this therapy are also great. They, they help prevent Alzheimer's disease. They help prevent osteoporosis. They, they have a number of good, good effects. So the question is, how can we pick which women are likely to benefit without having the harmful side effects? Right, right. And we now know that there's a certain gene that's associated with these side effects. And by doing this simple 
uh, inexpensive gene test, a woman can find out whether or not she would be likely to develop blood clots or likely to develop an increased risk of, of a heart attack from taking estrogen therapy. So doctors have never done this before, but now they're going to personalize their therapy and decide, okay, this, this person should take this medicine or not based on what their genes are because their genes predispose them to this uh, side effect that the, that the uh, drug can cause. And they can do this for antibiotics, and they can do this for, uh, you know, they could do this conceivably for something like Vioxx. Right. They would be able to find out which people can take this drug safely and which people are more likely to have an increased risk of heart disease because Vioxx was a good drug. It helped millions of people with arthritis, and now it's been taken away because it uh, caused heart disease in a few thousand. So it would be nice to know which are the few thousand that are likely to have the problem. So this is the kind of information that genomics is going to make available to us uh, in the very near future. Wow. Okay, so you, you hit on one of the questions that I was going to ask, and that is how many, I mean, plus or minus, uh, or, or maybe just give me an idea roughly around the country or whatever, uh, you know, how many people are performing these things now where people can actually take advantage of these tests right now? I mean, are there very, very few people doing it, or are there a, a handful, or... I think it's in the hundreds. There, you know, there are probably a, a few hundred doctors, maybe a thousand doctors in the country okay. that are now offering genomics testing to their patients. Wow, so not at all really outrageous. I mean, it's starting it's starting to grow, obviously, huh? Yes, it's it's, it's a trickle still, but I think in the next uh, few years, it's going to be almost all doctors that offer this because. The doctors need to learn about this therapy too, because mm. none of us learned about this in medical school. Right, there's a whole new language, most of us. and there's a whole new language involved in all this. I'm sure. So, absolutely, amazing. All right, well, hey, look, we're at the top of the hour, so let's uh, let's take another break here, and we'll come back and we'll talk about a few more of these things. You know, you mentioned um, this idea of, of personal therapy, which obviously seems to be the ideal. In other words, I don't want to be treated based on a group uh, percentage. You know, I want to be treated on what the heck is going on with my own personal unique system. And uh, that's what uh, that's what Dr. Grossman is talking about here. And that is definitely the way to go, because as he, he made a great point there about the you made a great point, Dr. Grossman, about this idea that, you know, maybe some people should be vegetarians and maybe some shouldn't. Uh, we're all different and we all have different needs and different requirements. So. All right, real cool stuff, and uh, we're going to come back and do some more of it in just a few more minutes. So stick around. This is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world. It's more than radio. It's your listener-sponsored community radio, and you're checking it out right now. we got another hour on the phone with Dr. Grossman, and we'll come back and talk about lots more of this stuff in just a minute. Okay, stick around.
right, uh, that was somebody from some CD. I'm not sure who that was, and I'll tell you another time. All right, this is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. And my guest is uh, Dr. Terry Grossman. Dr. Grossman is the author of the book, Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever. And we've been talking for the last hour about his book and uh, about some of the ideas and concepts that are included in it. And they are quite remarkable. And if you're just joining us, like I know some of you are, uh, we will... uh, continue talking about it and you can catch up as we go but the bottom line is this uh, uh, science technology uh, combined with new knowledge about genomics and nutrition and uh, just information and knowledge in general are really advancing these fields of medicine and some of the technological fields that are relevant to medicine and they are changing the face of the future and uh, it means that things are going to be possible in short order that would have seemed absolutely outrageous only a short time ago and that's what we're talking about tonight so all right uh dr grossman do we have you back here i'm here mike all right wonderful thanks okay so i have uh uh a question for you that i was thinking of off the air you know we're talking about using genomics to diagnose predisposition, for example, for something like uh, a particular kind of cancer or heart disease, for example. How do we, let, let, let's assume that that, and, and we know that that technology is uh, uh, in, in play right now. So if I get diagnosed uh, as somebody who has a predisposition for, uh, I don't know, you know, heart disease, for example, my father, uh, for example, has had a had a quadruple bypass in his background. So I'm, so maybe that's something that I have a little bit of nerve about. But again, like you say, now I can actually find find out without just guessing. So if I find out, then what do I do about it? Can I actually forestall it? I mean... Well, absolutely. I think with proper lifestyle choices, and these include things like diet, exercise, and aggressive supplementation, that it is, it is possible to avoid heart disease almost entirely. I don't think anyone needs to have a heart attack if they do appropriate testing on themselves and aggressively treat the problem. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the conventional recommendations for cholesterol are that your cholesterol should be less than 200. If we find out that you have a high genetic propensity to develop heart disease, then we wouldn't accept that. We might look for a cholesterol level of 160 or 150 as optimal for you. Okay. And the harmful, and luckily we have a number of medications that can help to lower cholesterol very, very effectively. So we would even take someone who had a normal or average level of cholesterol and treat them with either nutrients or medications if we knew that they they had this high risk. So that's just one example. Uh, Other risk factors include things like homocysteine or inflammation, which is detected by a blood test called CRP. And, And these tests can help a person to determine 
if they are at risk of developing a certain problem. And if so, they can be also equally aggressively treated. And another thing that is available to people nowadays and that you should avail yourself of if uh, heart disease runs in your family is to think about getting what's called an ultra-fast CAT scan of your heart. Hmm. Because until now, we haven't had any non-invasive, simple way of detecting heart disease. Our our mechanisms were either very uh, invasive, which is doing a cardiac catheterization, which no one is going to do unless they have a high index of suspicion, namely they've had chest pain or things along those lines. Right. But now we can actually just go to the to the radiologist, get what's called an ultrafast CAT scan. It's called ultrafast because the beam goes through very, very quickly and it provides an image that isn't blurred in the moving heart. And the CAT scan will tell if there are deposits of calcium in the lining of the artery. There normally should not be any. And if there are deposits of calcium in the artery wall, then that suggests that there are deposits of cholesterol as well. And one needs to be more careful or treat this more aggressively, Mm -hmm. even though you haven't had any symptoms. So this test can be done in less than five minutes. It costs a few hundred dollars, and many times insurance pays for it. So something like this would be very prudent. Uh, for people who are at a higher risk. So that information can help you to determine if you need to be on medication or to treat your cholesterol or these other risk factors more aggressively than the average person. All right. Okay. All right. Well, let me ask you another question then. Uh, there are a couple things, a couple parts of the books that really struck me as uh, as important because of other work that I'd done or research that I'd done. One of those was water. Uh, I thought maybe for just a few minutes at least we could talk about uh, the importance of water and may- and maybe uh, inflammation. I think those two things are, are, are quite closely related, but uh, maybe we could talk about that a little bit and what, uh, uh, what those things mean. Well, most people in this country are chronically dehydrated and Water is essential as a detoxifier because the body uses water to (coughs) remove toxins from the body. Uh, And if you're chronically dehydrated, the toxins will accumulate. So one of the tricks of health is to to, uh, drink water in adequate amounts. And the adequate amounts is generally regarded as one half ounce per pound of weight per day. So if a person weighs 120 pounds, and that would be 60 ounces of water, and if a person weighed 150 pounds, it would be 75 ounces of water, etc. So that's, and that, and that refers to drinking water. It doesn't refer to drinking anything else. Right. Uh, just water itself, uh, not fruit juice or not milk or any other beverages or coffee or tea. Actually, coffee and tea are minus because they have diuretics in them, and even though they're fluid, they actually will remove liquid from the body in the long run. Uh, that also applies to most soft drinks. Okay. We recommend against drinking uh, most of these things. All right. Uh, the, the main beverages that we advocate drinking are water and green tea. Mm. Green tea we like because green tea has a number of substances in it that actually will fight heart disease and cancer. And I think that's one of the tricks behind the success of the 
Japanese diet mm-hmm. that enabled the Japanese to live so long is that they drink green tea with almost every meal. Right. So we we actually created what we call Ray and Terry's Food Pyramid. And on the Ray and Terry Food Pyramid, at the base of the pyramid, which are the foods that people should eat the most of, we put drinking enough water, drinking several cups of green tea a day, and eating green vegetables as the base of the pyramid, uh, for example. Okay. So uh, there was an interesting book that was written by an Iranian physician named Fred Fatman Gelich, and his book was called Your Body's Many Cries for Water. And I read this book as part of the research for, for our book, Fantastic Voyage, uh-huh. and it was a fascinating book because he was a physician in Iran when uh, Ayatollah took over the government and threw out the Shah of Iran. And as part of that revolution, all of the intellectuals in the country were rounded up and put in prison. And Batman Gelich was put into prison also because he was one of the intellectuals in the country. And what the, uh, the prisons did, they, they had a peculiar habit. The, the warden of this prison would essentially just pick a name out of the hat every day then take that prisoner outside and shoot him. So there was a tremendous amount of stress among the prisoners. And these prisoners developed high blood pressure and uh, ulcers and chronic diseases because of the terrible stress that they lived under. And soon enough, people found out that this Batman Gelich was a doctor, so they called upon them for help. And he had no tools to help the prisoners with it. These prisoners were suffering with arthritis, ulcers and high blood pressure and all these problems. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that he had was water. So he decided to do an experiment and just see what water could do to treat these diseases. And he had people drink more and more water. And much to his amazement, he discovered that people with uh, ulcer disease actually got better when they drank more water. And people with high blood pressure, actually their blood pressure came down when they drank more water. People with back pain or arthritis had resolution of a lot of their symptoms when they drank more water. So when the time came for him to be freed from the prison, he actually elected to stay in the prison for another uh, period of time in order to complete his research. And that's what went into this book, The Body's Many Cries for Water. So we owe a debt of gratitude to him for finding out how critical water can be in hydrating the body and helping people prevent diseases. So uh, people can help uh, actually avoid back pain, which is found in almost uh, 70% of adults, just by drinking adequate amounts of water, it can help lubricate the joints, it can help uh, the discs in the back stay adequately hydrated. So there are a tremendous number of benefits associated with adequate hydration. Well, look, you know, uh, I've been biting my tongue, and I am so pleased that you just told that story, because uh, that is a book that I ran across a few years ago as well. And I thought that the work of, uh, I think we call him Dr. Batman for short. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was an incredible uh, uh, book that he wrote, and the, and the research behind it is awesome. And I want to add that, too, about your book. Uh, uh, for all of you out there that are uh, resource and reference junkies, there's almost 100 pages, uh, I think the last 80 or so pages of, uh, Fantastic Voyages, all reference and resource material. So it is heavily documented. Uh, these guys aren't going out on a limb. They're using uh, the latest information uh, about all of these things. And uh, 
and I'm really glad, like I said, that you that 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 you uh, that you tapped in, no pun intended, to the whole water thing because it is so important. And uh, and and we might as well give a little plug for Dr. Batman. If you want to check out uh, some of that work yourself, you can go to www.watercure.com. That's watercure. And uh, anyway, okay, so wonderful stuff. And that sort of ties in with inflammation as well. I know inflammation is something that's sort of the latest, uh, as you guys call it in the book, the latest smoking gun, or one of them at least. Absolutely. A lot of diseases that we used to think were caused by other factors are being attributed to inflammation of the body. And we know about a type of inflammation called acute inflammation, when you fall down and scrape your knee or get a cut mm-hmm. and it turns red and swollen or you sprain your ankle and it gets or, red and swollen. Or break a finger like I did yesterday. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you know about acute inflammation. Yep, I've got acute inflammation in my right forefinger right now. Yeah, absolutely. So that could be, do you have a tape to the next finger? I do not. Okay, well, that's one of the easiest ways to, to, to splint it. It's a buddy tape it to the adjacent finger. Oh, maybe I should do that. Tape it together, that'll provide a lot of comfort for you. All right, I'll do it. Okay. Then uh, in addition, there's another type of inflammation that is called chronic inflammation. Mm-hmm. And chronic inflammation is silent. It doesn't cause the, the heat and the swelling and the redness and the warmth and other things like that. It doesn't actually cause any symptoms at all, but it goes undetected in the body silently for decades, and then it erupts with tremendous fury. Oh, my gosh. Causing problems like heart attacks, onset of multiple cancers. For instance, we have found that uh, certain cancers are related to inflammation. Some of the most common cancers, like lung cancer, breast cancer, and colon cancer, are examples of inflammatory cancers. They're associated with inflammation. And some of the new literature suggests that by taking some anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen and aspirin, you can actually reduce your risk of developing certain types of cancer, inflammatory cancer. So heart disease, we used to think of as a a cholesterol-based disease. It was a plumbing problem. The arteries in the heart Mm -hmm. became Mm -hmm. clogged up with cholesterol, and all we needed to do was somehow reduce the cholesterol, and the arteries wouldn't plug up so badly. Well, this actually was a flawed understanding. What we understand now is that while cholesterol is important, it's not the sole answer. The fundamental process really relates to inflammation. Mm-hmm. If you have this silent inflammation in your body, it sets up a, a chain chain of events that can lead to the development of this deposition of, of cholesterol in the arteries. Inflammation is like a... Uh, causes cracks in the walls of the arteries and the body uses cholesterol to seal those cracks and if it puts too much cholesterol into that crack then it becomes a blockage which can then trigger a heart attack when that cholesterol once again gets inflamed mm-hmm. inflammation actually will attack the cholesterol which provides a double whammy it injures mm-hmm. the arteries the cholesterol gets put in there and then it inflames the cholesterol so that it ruptures and causes a heart attack so inflammation is found in every process of heart disease. Wow. Found in multiple cancers, as we mentioned. It's also found in uh, Alzheimer's disease. So many diseases that we didn't think were inflammatory at all, we used to think inflammation was related to things like arthritis. We're now finding inflammation 
is related to high blood pressure and diabetes. We're also finding that being overweight increases inflammation. So all of these things are intersecting to create a scenario where it's important to know if you do have this, quote, silent inflammation in your body, the chronic inflammation that doesn't have any symptoms until it causes a horrible disease after decades. And the simplest way to do that is with a, a blood test called the CRP level, the C-reactive protein. And this is an inexpensive test that can be done at any doctor's office. And we'll tell you a number, and you want that CRP level to be low, and that means that you don't have a significant amount of inflammation in your bloodstream. Okay. So we do recommend that people get CRP levels done as part of their annual physical exams to find out if they have this inflammation in their bodies. All right. Well, that sort of leads me to uh, uh, a question just about uh, uh, people in general. If people are listening to this program and they say, okay, well, my first step, what am I supposed to do? Do I need to think about my doctor, for example? Do I need to get a doctor uh, that, I'm, uh, that I'm comfortable, is aware of these sort of forward-thinking uh, uh, realities and these things that are going on? Do I need to look at that first, and then what do I do? Then do I, then do I move on to uh, detoxification, and then I know supplements are very important. Give us an idea of sort of a, a quick sort of get going for, uh, for somebody that might be interested in sort of taking off on an idea like this. Well, I think that that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons we, we wrote the book. So what I would suggest someone do as a, a practical way to begin is go to our website, fantastic-voyage.net, and download the short guide to a long life and look at those principles that we outline there in terms of what they can do about diet, and what they can do about measuring inflammation and then treating right. it if they have high right. levels and what they can do about supplements that uh, apply to them and what they can do about hormone replacement therapy, how to determine if they need certain hormones and what hormones are good and what hormones are not so good. And start with that, and if that information they want to know more, then I suggest they get a copy of our book, Fantastic Voyage. They can get it from uh, the bookstores, they can get it from Amazon, and read the entire book or read the parts of the book that they're more interested in. And with that knowledge, we talk at some detail in the book about how it's important to pick the right type of physician for yourself, someone that you can partner with and work with, someone who understands uh, the principles that we uh, put forward. And sometimes it's hard to find a doctor like that because many of the conventional doctors uh, are not accustomed to these, these concepts. For instance, the, the CRP, the test for inflammation, is now widely done by cardiologists. But until even two or three years ago, almost no cardiologists were doing CRP testing on their, on their patients. But now it's, it's done commonly. Homocysteine, which is another uh, test for uh, heart disease and other chronic diseases. Now almost all the cardiologists are checking this, but three or four years ago, none of the cardiologists right. were doing this. Right. So, th uh, so, so three years ago, you had... So three years ago, you had to be real lucky and have, or, or, or be real smart and make sure you had one of those few that was actually doing it at that time. Yeah, the, the learning curve is, is, is fairly steep, and once the change occurs, you know, and the studies are done, what doctors are looking for is the double-blind placebo-controlled studies mm -hmm. that show that a certain test or therapy has value. But there's actually a lag time of between 15 and 25 years 
from when information is discovered and when it becomes mainstream right, amongst right. physicians. We, we think that things occur immediately as soon as they're discovered. That's actually not the case. We've known about homocysteine as a risk factor for heart disease for over 20 years. It was discovered in the early 1980s, but most doctors have not checked for it until recently. And, for instance, even today, Medicare won't pay for a test for homocysteine levels hmm. because they don't regard it as, uh, as critical information. But I personally couldn't even practice medicine without it. So it hasn't, you know, it hasn't trickled down to, right, right, right. To, to the ranks of the federal government, whoever decides what tests get paid for. So there is a really uh, a slow process for this information to get disseminated. Okay. So you do need to find a doctor that keeps up on these things. Okay. All right. Well, uh, with uh, with regard to people, you're obviously you've been in the middle of this now for uh, for over ten years. What sort of success are you seeing, um, either with yourself and maybe with Ray? How are you guys doing personally? And and uh, and, and what are you seeing from uh, patients or friends or whatever that are, that are honestly moving forward with, with these programs and and legitimately doing. Uh, what they need to be doing. Are they, are, 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 what's, let me know what sort of progress you're seeing. Well, what we do at, at, at my clinic, we have these longevity evaluations. And many people from both the Denver area and actually from all over the country and many foreign countries have come to our clinic to have these longevity evaluations done. And what we do is we actually assess where people are in the aging process. And one of the more important tests that we perform is we determine their biological age. And your chronological age is the age you are from when you were born, but your biological age is the age that your body is in terms of <clears throat> these biomarkers of aging. We measure things like high-frequency hearing loss, lung function, memory, reaction time, vibration sense, and other so-called biomarkers of aging. And there is some debate among doctors as to which tests are valid and uh, things along those lines. But nonetheless, there is common agreement that we do know that the older you get, the harder it is to read the newspaper when it's a certain number of inches from your face. We also know that it's harder to hear certain high frequencies the older you get. So we, we measure each of these factors, and a computerized program then just spits out what our biological age is. And for instance, on Ray Kurzweil, my co-author, right. he came to my clinic, and we measured his biological age. And that when he was uh, 56 years of age, he uh, measured 40. So he's doing very well wow. in the uh, anti-aging department. So his body biologically is in many ways 40 years of age. And we've had many patients come in and have these tests done, then make certain changes to their diet, certain changes to their exercise program, take supplements, take hormones were indicated, and then have the test done a year later and find that they've gone down in age by two or three years. Hmm. And then do it a year later, and they've gone in, down in age another couple of years. So it is possible to get younger as you are getting older. So there's a difference between growing older and aging. Everybody grows older, but not everyone ages. So it is hmm. possible to, to measure these things. And then as part of the longevity evaluation we do, we also measure things we talked about, the CRP levels and the homocysteine levels and blood sugar levels and reaction 
to uh, to glucose and hormone levels, and and then find out vitamin levels, uh, levels of toxins in the bloodstream, amounts of heavy metals in the body, and we we put all this together and create uh, a snapshot of where that person is in terms of how well they're handling the aging process, mm-hmm. and then we can help that individual to establish a personalized program. We also do the genetic testing, the genomics we talked about earlier, right. find out what specific genes people have so they know how to how to live their lives because um, if you know your genes, then you can make uh, more rational decisions. So right. Right. this is the, the type of things that people can do in order to, to move to further their knowledge, beginning from just going to the website and downloading some information doing the longevity evaluation. So there's a, a whole spectrum, a palette of options that people can take uh, to determine, you know, uh, where they are in the aging process and what they want to do about it. Perfect. All right, well, uh, yeah, well I'll ask you one more quick question before, the, before, before we take a break here. But just in general, how, how's the book being received by your peers and by, uh, by the people who are reading it uh, in general? What do you, what, what's the response been? The response has been very positive. Uh, we haven't had anybody uh, say anything negative uh, to speak of. We, you know, obviously there are critics, sure. but by and large, it's been very well received. Uh, it's in a second printing already. The book came out a few months ago and uh, sold out its first printing. It's in second printing, and uh, it's doing very well in the bookstores and uh, and on Amazon. And uh, we've been very pleased. Uh, they did a show on us uh, on PBS recently. We're going to be on CNN, both Ray and I. Uh, they, they did a program on the Quest for Immortality. Uh, uh, 60 Minutes is going to have a show uh, on Ray. Uh, so we've been getting a lot of uh, interest in, in the book, and it's been doing very well. So thank you very much for asking about that. All right, yeah, I, uh, I thought it was fantastic myself. So, okay, we're going to take one more break, uh, and we'll be back in about four minutes or so. And then we'll have about, uh, I don't know, we'll have about 15 or 20 minutes to sort of uh, finish up. And I've got a couple sort of uh, uh, maybe left field questions that I want to pose to you. Maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the more obscure stuff. And uh, we'll be back to do that in just a few minutes, okay? This is uh, Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. And uh, this is also Blind Melon, and this song is called Change. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Lots of changes coming, people, so pay attention.
All right, that was Brian Mellon from the CD of the same name. That was called Change. This is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. And my guest is Dr. Terry Grossman. We've been fortunate enough to have him spending two hours of his valuable time. Uh, it's now going on uh, just past 12.30 in Denver. Uh, and... Um, uh, Dr. Grossman, just uh, want to say thanks uh, again for sticking around with us. It's been a, been a fascinating uh, conversation and, 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 and really uh, uh, important information and in, enlightening stuff for everybody who's lucky enough to be listening. So thanks again. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so what's going on in Denver these days? You know, I, I lived in Denver for about 15 years before I moved out here, and I've only been out here for a couple of years. So I'm sort of familiar with uh, a lot of the stuff that's going on back there. And We're, we're busy out here. <clears throat> Uh, doing, you know, basically the anti-aging strategies that we talk about in the book. So <clears throat> the book actually began as a <clears throat> discussion between me and Ray. Uh, he he began as a patient of mine. So you didn't know. So you didn't know Ray until he became a patient of yours. Uh, actually, we met at a conference. Right. I was researching uh, my first book. I wrote a book before Fantastic Voyage. Um, and when I was researching that book, I met him in a conference, and uh, he ended up becoming a patient, and we exchanged emails with one another, and uh-huh. pretty soon we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 emails. Oh, my gosh. And that amount of information, actually, we realized, formed the basis of a book. <laughs> we decided to, to write a book together, and it was largely based on taking the emails that we exchanged with one another over a couple of years. Awesome. And then we, you know, we did more research to put it together, but that's right. how it actually began. Right. Well, it's totally cool, and uh, there are a couple more things I want to ask you about it while we got while we got a minute here. We've got, uh, oh, I don't know, we'll go till about five minutes until uh, the top of the hour. Uh, but there's one thing that we didn't talk about yet that I think bears uh, discussion, and that is um, our minds, our brain, our attitude what effect these things have, and how uh, we should approach those ideas. Well, you know, maintaining your, your mental faculties is critical because it doesn't do any good to, to live a very long time unless you have the mental capacity to appreciate it. We've all seen the tragedy of, of dementia, of what happens when a person is in a nursing home and doesn't recognize their own husband or wife or their own children, you know, when you reach that point of uh, <clears throat> mental deterioration, I don't think you have any quality of life whatsoever. Right. Uh, well, so in, in, in addition to that, though, what about what we can do now with our minds and our brains in order to help ourselves uh, through um, good attitude and through... Uh, I don't know affirmation or whatever these sorts of things. I mean, is that is is any of that viable? In other words, is 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 the idea that attitude 
uh, is important a fallacy, or, or, or does that have some play on any of this? No, I think it does. One of the most important aspects of maintaining your mind is avoiding stress, because stress actually destroys memory cells. Destroys the hippocampus, which is where memory is laid down. Hmm. And they've taught rats to run a maze. And then they've given the same rats an injection of, of cortisone, which is a stress hormone, and the rats forget how to run the maze. So wow. we've all had the experience of being under a lot of stress, and we, we go from room to room and forget what we went into the other room to get. <laughs> uh, well, we're fine. We're, you, you know, we call that. A loss of room-to-room memory, and uh, when, and I think people experience this when they're under stress, and when this stress is continued long-term, chronically, it can destroy your memory, so destroy your mind. And I think it's important that people control stress. So this brings in a whole host of other lifestyle aspects. You want to avoid overwork. You want to take regular vacations. We want to have wholesome relationships, we want to maintain friendships, we want to have a, a good relationship with a life partner, we want to um, have good relations with our families. Um, these things tend to be, we want to have a spiritual life. These things are all part and parcel of maintaining control of stress in our lives. Then in addition, there are a number of supplements that people can take. For instance, ginkgo biloba has been found to increase blood flow to the brain. So it has another uh, substance called vinpositine. This is a safe substance that in some studies has been shown to protect the, the, the brain cells, the neurons, from damage in time. There are other nutrients, phosphatidylserine, phosphatidylcholine, a whole host of supplements that can be taken by people in order to maintain their mental faculties uh, in time. So. There, there are a lot of things people can do. Uh, you had asked about attitude, and I responded by saying, you know, controlling stress. But I think a positive outlook on life also helps to control stress. Right, right, I right. think that this type of affirmation will maintain your mental integrity throughout uh, your life. Okay. Uh, do me a favor. Elaborate a little bit more on stress. I know that it's so important, and maybe we could we, we could try to define it a little bit better than just that one word and where uh, where it comes from and what uh, you know what we can avoid. I know I know overwork maybe, but it's sort of pressure in general, or I don't know. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about it. Well, in some way, you can think about stress as the rubber band in your life. You know, you need you need a certain amount of stress in order to stand upright. Hmm. Uh, if you don't have any stress at all tend to be very wobbly. So you need stress, a certain amount of stress, just to keep you uh, alive and going. And this is, stress by the, you, this is stress by the physical definition of it, right? By the medical no, it definition. Could be, it could be emotional stress or physical stress. Stress can be, can be physical stress, like uh, an illness or surgery. This is a physical stress. Mm, okay. Stress can also be an emotional stress, whether it's problem with your wife or a problem with your boss or right, right. a traffic jam or all of these things <laughs> are stressful. Okay. You know, your, your, your kid got in trouble at school, got thrown out of school for doing something. These are all stressful events that you go through. And if this is chronic and it, you just can't get any relief from this, this, this type of stress will eventually take its toll on 
not only your, your memory, but on your entire health. People who have a lot of stress have increased amounts of inflammation in their body. We, they actually did a study on, uh, on caregivers who had a spouse who had Alzheimer's. And this is a very stressful position to live in uh, because most of the people are already old to begin with and they're taking care of a very ill relative, husband or wife, and they measured the, the markers of inflammation in their body and they found they were very high. So stress increases inflammation, which then causes all of the other diseases. So right. all of these mm-hmm. things are hooked in together. Stress is very, very bad if it's done to excess, but we all need a little stress in our life. Right. Stress is the challenge that, that gives us traction. Wow, you know, the, the, one of the many things that's really come through tonight is that this this idea that we're, it's it's such a dynamic system, the 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 human body, and each one of them is so different uh, and so unique that uh, that it seems like this is the ideal. In other words, this is the way medicine needs to be going or should be going. In other, you know, you know what I'm saying. And it's it, it seems like. Uh, the days of general medicine of just treating a general illness with a general uh, uh, treatment, those days are almost done, it seems like. Well, I agree. And I think we're, we're on the, the shore, the edge of personalized medicine, where we'll be able to go to a doctor. The doctor will do a simple blood test to screen for what type of we have, what type of genes we have, and then what type of medicine we need to, to treat. And actually, when the proteomics, which we didn't even touch on other than to mention, uh, they will actually uh, be able to create a molecule, a drug, specific for your specific condition to treat that. So, and this is, you know, probably going to occur within the next 10 years or so. It'll, it'll be, it'll, it'll render the type of medicine we're practicing today. I think it will appear somewhat primitive. Mm-hmm. So the, the rate of change is, is accelerating. It's, it's beginning to pick up a tremendous amount of speed. And I think that the therapies we'll have available to us in the next few years will uh, really be quite amazing from our current perspective. All right. Well, that's that, that's one of the things that I wanted to finish off talking about is, is the... Uh, the technology itself and this this rate of advancement and that's something that Ray has uh, has done a lot of uh, uh, a lot of work on in the past and uh, and I'm sure you're very familiar with it as well but uh, for the people who aren't and, and we've actually talked about this on my program uh, before maybe not in the same context uh, but I think that uh, as we talked about earlier it's happening uh, it's happening in many different fields of endeavor and uh, you uh, and Ray right now have collaborated to look at uh, some of the medical and uh, longevity-related ideas, uh, but, but there are implications in nearly every field of endeavor. Uh, and uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, this advancement of the technology, and that it's not really a linear curve. It appears to be some sort of a, a geometric progression or an asymptotic curve or, or, or an exponential curve or whatever, but it's, but it's going faster and faster and faster, that's for sure. Well, absolutely. The, the doubling time for uh, computers, for instance, the, what they call Moore's Law, uh, Gordon Moore said a number of years ago that the speed, computer speed, will increase by the same rate 
uh, it'll double in the period of about uh, two years. And this has held true for a while, but then what happened is the computers continued to double in speed, but it didn't take two years to do it. It took 18 months. And now that's down to like 12 months. Right, right, uh, right. You know, when we were looking at the... Uh, looking at the Human Genome Project, when it first started, it took, you know, say, in, in one year they decoded perhaps 300 genes, whereas at the, at the end they were decoding 300 genes an hour. So th this, this acceleration of speed and acceleration in the rate of change is what Ray Kurzweil has referred to as the law of accelerated returns. So things are getting faster, but the rate at which they're getting faster is also getting faster. Right. So right, right. it's like a double exponential curve, and this 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 is very typical of the uh, of computer related sciences, because when when computers start to talk to one another, information is is uh, promulgated very rapidly, and this leads to this acceleration of information, acceleration of knowledge, and this doubling time actually shortening year after year in all fields of human endeavor. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's absolutely outrageous when you really start to, you know, to delve into the sort of the, the, the big picture implications. Uh, and uh, maybe that's something that we could chat a little bit about. I'm sure, I'm sure uh, with the relationship you, have, relationship you have with Ray that I'm sure you guys talk uh, at times about uh, not just the implications in your own fields, but sort of what's going on in general. In other words, as we approach these uh, these technologies and these abilities of ours to, to, to control our, uh, uh, our bodies better, where we can actually live these uh, quite extended lives, well, what's, what's going on in the meantime? You know, I mean, the world isn't going to stay the same, that's for sure. Well, that's true, and the the social implications, the moral implications, the philosophical implications of these technological changes are very profound. And this presents some unique challenges. The uh, nanobot technology that we were talking about at the beginning of the show has the promise to cure essentially all diseases. It'll detect cancer before it has a chance to grow, detect all infections and kill them off before they have a chance to hurt us. But these same nanobots can be utilized to self-replicate and to create uh, viruses and problems that could contaminate our food supply, could uh, pollute the earth, uh, destroy everything. So as quickly as we develop the, the technology to do good, someone can harness that technology to do bad so we need to put in safeguards, stop gaps that will, you know, we have to have very, very powerful antivirus software to protect ourselves before we release, you know, version 2.0 and version 3.0, et cetera, of any of these technologies. Because otherwise, if it gets out of control and in the wrong hands, it can destroy us. Do you think, uh, do you think that, it's, that, that it's sort of in the hands of the of the developers as opposed to legislators in other words to me it seems like uh it seems like 
the, the political types, you know, the people in Washington or whatever, it seems to me that they would be so far behind the curve typically on the stuff that we're talking about that uh, that if we're looking for some sort of, uh, I mean, it seems to me like it's sort of the genie's out of the bottle and, and we're going to have to rely on the good faith and good-heartedness of the, of the developers almost because who else is going to control it? Nobody else even understands it. Well, I think it's going to have to be a collaborative effort between the government, between military, between scientists and developers. You know, everyone's going to have to work if we're going to survive because uh, some of these technologies, because they are so very powerful, right. can be very uh, destructive. So, it, you know, we can't... I, I think we need to have very... Uh, care to not allow these things to fall into the wrong hands, or if they do, as they inevitably will, to have mechanisms to protect ourselves from them. Right. Yeah, and, and I think that, uh, that that you're right. In other words, this is where we're going. This is, you know, they're not going to stop. The, develop, the development is not going to stop. Uh, well, there's never been a case in history where development stopped. Right, right. So we can assume that if we follow the models that, that, that this is going to go, un unless there's some catastrophe in the meantime I mean if things go pretty much uh, uh, you know if we don't if we don't tear the world apart in the meantime if this technology is allowed to continue to develop it's this is what's coming and so uh, as you point out profoundly that uh, it's uh, the implications are both uh, uh, Armageddon and paradise at the same time and we have to balance on that uh, on that thin line and um, and hopefully end up on the on the right side of it, I guess, because because it does seem to me that if you can push it far enough, that the reasons for all the fighting and killing and everything that's been going on for fifteen thousand years now kind of go away almost, because now it seems like you can almost live in your imagination, you can almost uh, live in a a virtual world of your own creation if we can allow this thing to come to fruition without without destroying ourselves well that 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 is a whole new scenario and people are talking seriously about the possibility of uploading and living in virtual states of existence and when you do that then it is possible to you know create backup copies of yourself and backup uh, your memories and things like that and then the possibility of annihilation becomes much lessened. So there are scenarios Amazing. that will be protective, but there's an interim period of time where we need to, you know, this is what they refer to as the singularity, where we have a, a tremendous acceleration in technology where life after the singularity is really unrecognizable from what exists today. Right. And a lot of people feel that the singularity will also occur in the first half of this century. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of, of surviving long enough to allow this technology to blossom. Right, right. Amazing. All right, well, what, uh, let's see. I'll give you one more quick question before we, before we finish up here. There, there are certainly going to be people that say, oh, you know, you're creating Frankensteins and this is not natural and, you know, uh, you know we're supposed to die. And Well... I would just counter by saying that is it natural for a child who gets pneumonia to be treated with antibiotics? I mean, is it natural for uh, an individual who has a heart attack to 
get a bypass. Mm. These don't. These are not natural things that we do. Right. What's natural is for the child with pneumonia to die, to succumb to, to the infection. What is natural is for the individual who has a heart attack to either live or die if they, they survive it or not. What's natural is a patient who has appendicitis to, to probably die from the infection because right. they didn't have surgery. So the natural, nature is very tough. Mm-hmm. Nature, nature is not kind at all. So we humans have never been content with what nature has offered us. If we were, we'd still be, you know, living in caves or living in the trees, but we weren't content with that. It's in the nature of, 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 of humankind to, to, to grasp for what we cannot, cannot achieve, always try to, to push go beyond. beyond our limitations. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, I understand. I understand. Well, I tell you what, it has been uh, an incredible conversation, and uh, we're just about at the end of it here. And, uh, yeah, incredible stuff that we're talking about here, and it is coming, and we're, uh, we're going we're gonna to see it. Uh, we're going to see it in our lifetimes for sure, Dr. Grossman, and, and, I, and I thank you and, uh, and Ray both for, uh, for doing your part to try to spread uh, some of this information and share uh, share it with uh, with other people so that they really can get a grasp of some of these things that are coming. And, and you know, we don't have all the answers, and, and uh, you guys point that out, that w- at, at, at one point it becomes uh, nobody knows what's, what, what's going to happen. But it is an amazing thing to see and an amazing time to be alive, and, uh, and we're just going to watch it unfold here. So, well, so I also want to thank you, Mike, for allowing me to help spread this message. Well, I appreciate it, and, and uh, that, that's what it's all about these days, like we've been talking about, the spread of information. And, you know, one of the reasons why I like to do radio is because I get, because I can do sort of stuff in real time. You, you made an interesting point earlier about how the fact that when you were writing the book, you had to update it and update it because things are changing so quickly that by the time you go to print, some of the stuff has already been superseded. And, uh, yeah, doing radio like this is great because you can try to, you know, as long as you can try to stay up on, on uh, the, the topics that you're interested in, like, like, like we talked about, then you can, you can talk to the cutting-edge people like we are doing tonight, and I'm totally psyched about it. So, so anyway, let's give out the website one more time. It is uh, www.fantastic-voyage.net. And you can also get there from my website at www.radioorbit.com. And uh, you can also get there from www.kurtzweilai.net. And uh, incredible stuff, amazing stuff, remarkable work that you and Ray Kurtzweil have done. And I thank you one last time. And uh, maybe we can do this again sometime. My pleasure, Mike. Yeah, as, things get, uh, as, as we watch things march along, it'll be interesting to get your perspective on it. So maybe we will do this again down the road here, okay? All right, uh, Dr. Grossman, do me a favor. Stick around on the line for just a moment, and we'll be back in just a few. Everybody, you've been listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. I'm running a little bit late here. we got Curtis showing up in just about two minutes, so I'm going to finish things off uh, with uh, a wonderful song here called Can't Keep. And uh, the last line is, I can live forever. And here we go. Thanks uh, to Dr. Grossman one last time and uh, to everybody for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week and uh, tune in next week on Radio Orbit. Same time, same channel at 11 p.m. and we'll be having uh, Stephen Herod Buner 
Uh, and we'll be talking about the lost language of plants and the secret teachings of plants, uh, talk about nature a little bit. And uh, it is uh, directly related to some of the stuff we talked about tonight. So at any rate, thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. Take care.